Let's do it. And now, shining the spotlight on the future of hockey, the World Juniors. Hi, this is uh, Spencer Knight. This is Matt Boldy. Hey guys, this is Cam York from Team USA. Hello, this is Tim Stutzler. Hi, my name is Noel Gunnler. I'm Alexander Holtz of the Team Sweden. Hey, I'm Dylan Cousins. Hey, it's Phil Tomasino. Hi, this is Devin Levi. Major Junior. Looks back to the point, turns, fires, scores! What a shot, first OHL goal for Shane Wright. Right circle, shot, scores! Connor Bernard has arrived here at the Brad Center, is first in the Western Hockey League. NCAA. Save, watch out, watch out! UMass, our national champions. The NHL Draft. I am Sebastian Ankosa. This is Dylan Gunther of the Edmonton Oil Kings. This is William McLoom from Uvarin here. Hi, I'm Brent Clark. Hi, uh, this is Matt Coronado from the Chicago Steel. It's Zach LaRue from the Halifax Moosehead. Hey, it's Paul Stones with the Two Falls Stampede. This is Fabian LaSalle. I play for Lulioff. Hey, it's Corson Kuhlman from Brooks Bandit. Hi, this is Chaz Lucius. This is Logan Sandkoven. I play for the Camels Blazers. It's just Wolfers from uh, Hockey. And more. Bring it! This is the Pipeline Show. We have reached the finals in the WHL, the OHL, and the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League, all three leagues. The championship series gets underway this weekend. Welcome to the Pipeline Show, everybody. My name is Guy Flaming. Thank you to everyone who has been signing up to be a patron at patreon.com slash show, where you can get early access to every interview, or 99% of the interviews that you hear on a full episode the very, very rare occasion where I'd, I have an interview that's so close to the release of a full episode that I just can't get it out uh, in time. For example, all the interviews that you're going to hear in this week's full episode have been available to patrons uh, for two or three days already at patreon.com slash the pipeline show. A couple of bucks a month is what that costs, and I really appreciate that support. The Pipeline Show is brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. Go to Wilhock, that's spelled W-I-L-H-A-U-K, beefjerky.com. It is Alberta's best beef jerky. I dare say it is the best. It's, it is the best beef jerky that I have ever had. Two locations, one in Leduc, Alberta, one in Spruce Grove, Alberta. But if you're in Western Canada, any order, any size, anywhere, they will ship it to you. Vacuum sealed, absolutely fresh and delicious on delivery. Wilhockbeefjerky.com. Some quick news and notes, because uh, we're going to get to a an absolutely loaded show this week. But we will, of course, start with the CHL playoffs. In Edmonton, the Seattle Thunderbirds, they eliminate the Kamloops Blazers and did it by coming from behind in that series. Second time they've done that. The Portland Winterhawks had them on the ropes. They were up three games to one, and Seattle rattled off three consecutive wins to take that series. And against Kamloops... The Blazers were up three games to two in Seattle winning the final two games. And notable that uh, Seattle had to win those last games, both game sevens, on the road. So very, very impressive uh, run here for the Seattle Thunderbirds. This should be a fantastic series. Both teams very deep, both teams with a lot of drafted players. And when you look at the uh, scoring race of the playoffs in the WHL, well, Logan Stankoven is on top with 31 points. What a fantastic postseason. He had 17 goals in 17 games. Unreal. Uh, But Seattle's got the next two scorers, and yeah, they've played the most games. Jared Davidson, Lucas Fikoski, Dylan Gunther, who has also had a terrific run, 13 goals in 13 games and 21 points. 
Uh, he leads the way for the Edmonton Oil Kings. The goaltenders right now, well, Sebastian Kosa has a 197 goals against average and a 909 save percentage. Meanwhile, Thomas Milich uh, for Seattle, he's got a 216 goals against average, so he's so he's giving up more goals, but his save percentage is terrific, a 926 save percentage. Obviously, both goaltenders with 12 wins so far. Jumping over to the Ontario Hockey League, and we will have a full preview of uh, the OHL final, but it sees the 12-0 Hamilton Bulldogs going up against the battle-hardened Windsor Spitfires, who went six games in round one, seven games uh, in this last series against the Flint Firebirds. So kind of similar to Edmonton and Seattle in one sense, Hamilton is 12-0. Edmonton is 12-1. They do have the one loss against the Winnipeg Ice. Uh, and the team that those two are playing against uh, in Seattle and Windsor both ha had a, a longer run here, but maybe that adversity will help them in the long run. Wyatt Johnston leads the OHL playoff race in scoring. He has 31 points. And next up is Logan Morrison uh, from the Hamilton Bulldogs. I think everybody would just naturally expect it to be Mason McTavish. Uh, he's got 19 points in 12 games. Logan Morrison with 26 for Hamilton. In fact, Avery Hayes is in between those two as well. He's got 21 points for the Hamilton Bulldogs. But like I said, full preview of uh, that series coming up. So we'll uh, move on to the queue and the matchup there. Uh, sees the Schwinnigan Cataract heading to Prince Edward Island to take on the Charlottetown Islanders. The Shearbrook Phoenix uh, forward Joshua Roy is the current leader in the uh, Q playoffs. He's got 23 points in 11 games. Keep in mind, best of fives up to this point in the Q. The final is a best of seven. Uh, but the leading scorer in the series, who a guy who is still playing, is Patrick Gay from Charlottetown. He's got 21 points in 10 games. But right there is Maverick Bork uh, for Shawinigan. Brent Budgel from Charlottetown. Xavier Simino from Charlottetown. Xavier Borgo from uh, Shawinigan. It's a final heavy race. Uh, I think the top 10 in the Q scoring right now, you're either from Charlottetown or Shawinigan and Sherbrooke. Sherbrooke lost out to Charlottetown in the semifinal. And like I said, we got a preview of the OHL. We also got a big preview of the Q final coming up for you as well. In fact, an extended uh, preview because we'll also talk about the St. John Sea Dogs and news there as uh, they fired Gordy Dwyer like three weeks before the start, I guess maybe a month before the start of the Memorial Cup. We'll get into that with our guest coming up as well. This week, the USHL announced their league awards, and uh, that made a lot of uh, news uh, because the player of the year and the defenseman of the year, Mitchell Miller from the Tri-City Storm, who had an unbelievable season, really, really impressive season. But a lot of people saying this is uh, a guy who shouldn't have been in the league and that this is not a good look for the league to have Mitchell Miller being crowned as the player of the year. For those who uh, maybe recognize the name, don't remember the story, he is the guy drafted by the Arizona Coyotes. He was going to North Dakota then about a month after the draft. Uh, both of those franchises uh, took a step back from Mitchell Miller because of uh, his uh, track record, where he was uh, physically and mentally abusing a disabled kid back when, uh, while he was back in uh, Ohio. And I know I saw a video from uh, head coach, Tri-City Storm head coach, Anthony Noreen, who was talking very passionately about uh, the work that they've done uh, with Mitchell Miller. And I am all for second chances. I think it's uh, important. Uh, but at the same time, after I watched that video, the only question I had was, that's terrific, all the work and effort that uh, that apparently the team has done with him. 
and that uh, Mr. Miller has done on his own. Uh, what about the victim? Because Mitchell Miller is not the victim in this story. So hearing lots of uh, rumors, at least, uh, that he'll have another NCAA Division I opportunity. And after a season like this, you wonder if uh, an NHL club is willing to take that on again. Only time will tell if uh, either of those come to fruition. Uh, but the public outcry for him just simply getting an award uh, was pretty significant. All the recipients of uh, USHL awards this year were from the Tri-City Storm, with the exception of uh, two. The general manager of the year was Andy Johnson. And the rookie of the year is uh, Dylan James from the Sioux City Musketeers as well, who we just had on the show here a couple of weeks back. It's the second year in a row that a Canadian has won the rookie of the year in the USHL. Last year, of course, Cole Sillinger. This year, Dylan James, who is from Calgary. And lastly, before we get to the guest list, uh, the deadline has passed for teams to sign some of their 2020 draft players. And a couple of notables, both of them out of the WHL, Alex Cotton, who was uh, drafted by the Detroit Red Wings and has been one of the WHL's premier offensive defensemen, uh, he was not signed by Detroit. Now, he was an overage player when he was drafted, so now the question is, and I'm not sure what the actual answer is. If you know, you can hit me up on Twitter at TPS underscore Gee. He's 21, so is he automatically a free agent now? Can a team sign him right now, or does he have to go through the draft one more time because he's a... Uh, he was just drafted two years ago. Does he have to go through the draft one more time? And if he goes unselected, then immediately, then does he become a free agent? That's my understanding, but I've seen it the other way as well. So I'm not sure. Uh, one that we know for sure goes back into the draft is uh, Connor McLennan of the Winnipeg Ice. The Philadelphia Flyers are choosing not to sign him. He had 80-some points this year. I'm really surprised, actually, that Philly decided not to draft or not to sign uh, McLennan. Pretty sure somebody else will. At the very least, he will be a very good American Hockey League player. He's a sixth-round pick of the Flyers, and it's not like he has taken a step backward. All guests join me courtesy the Troubled Bunk Hotline. Stop by the tap room in Red Deer. You can make your own six-pack or 12-pack while you're there. You can get individual cans and create your own mix-and-match pack. Or you can pick up some of the uh, tried-and-true, like the Taster Pack. That includes the Pesky Pig and the Golden Gates, the Open Road American Brown Ale, and of course the Bucktooth Belgian White. What you might not know is that they also have a collection of uh, soda. They've got root beer, and they've got Saskatoon soda, and the orange soda, and the ginger ale. My wife really likes the ginger ale. My son said the orange soda is terrific. The one I like is uh, not available right now, but the if and when the raspberry comes out again, I recommend you get your hands on some of that. Anyway, you can place your order online at troubledmonk.com slash shop, and then there are three places where you can go pick up that order. One is at the tap room in Red Deer. If you're in Edmonton, it's at the Bountiful Farmer's Market, and if you're in Calgary, it's at the Calgary Farmer's Market. And of course, anywhere in Alberta, if your local liquor store doesn't have Troubled Monk in stock, demand it. It's, it's available to them. They just have to get it for you. All right, this week's guest list, an absolutely loaded show. I've got five guests coming up for you. We'll begin with Lucas Pancari of the Brandon Sun. We're going to talk to him about the uh, Centennial Cup that ended last week with the uh, Brooks Bandits out of the Alberta Junior Hockey League claiming the national championship. We'll talk to him about uh, that tournament, and we'll also pick his brain on the upcoming uh, WHL Championship Series as well. From there, two players who will be playing in the WHL Championship. From the Edmonton Oil Kings, you'll hear from Justin Sordiff. 
And from the Seattle Thunderbirds, it's going to be a 2022 draft spotlight. I'm pleased to be joined by Kevin Korczynski, one of the top defensemen ranked in the entire class of 2022. And then we will branch out. We'll go to the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League uh, Championship Series. Jamie Tozer from Station Nation will be our guide. And we will end it with the OHL Series. Brandon Caputo, who's involved with a couple of uh, podcasts in the OHL, covers the Niagara Ice Dogs, but has been all over the Hamilton Bulldogs during this playoff run. So an absolutely loaded show. We'll start it off with Lucas Puncari from the Brandon Sun talking Centennial Cup. When we come back, you're listening to The Pipeline Show. Brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. McKechnie won it, left half boards. McCarr skates down the boards to the corner, stops up there, then got around a defender to the side of the net, cuts in front, shoots and scores! (laughs) A thing of beauty, a work of art. Kale McCarr just took over this whole game, dangling a defender out of his skates in the left corner, cutting to the slot untouched. Hey, it's Kale McCarr of the Brooks Bandits, and you're listening to The Pipeline Show. Passion, talent, development. NCAA hockey offers all that, and its players graduate at a 90% rate. Jonathan Taves. Backhand scores! Wow, what a goal! Joe Pavelski. And Johnny Gaudreau. We're stars on campus before the NHL stage. Whether you are a fan or a player, nothing compares to college hockey. Visit collegehockeyinc.com and follow at College Hockey. Champions of the college hockey world! You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. And boom goes the dynamite. We're back on The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming, and we are going to begin this week's episode in fine fashion as we uh, look back at the Centennial Cup. We'll also preview the upcoming WHL final. But first, The Pipeline Show is brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. It's Alberta's best beef jerky, and I guarantee it's the best beef jerky that you have ever had. Two ways to get it, Leduc or Spruce Grove, Alberta. If you're in Western Canada, any order, any size, anywhere, they will ship it to you. Go to wilhockbeefjerky.com. My guest today is Lucas Puncari from the Brandon Sun. Lucas, great to talk to you once again. How are things? Thanks, Dean. Well, it seems like every time I talk to you, I'm in a brand new, exciting world, Cal, and that's the case here once again for our chat here today. Yes, it is. The last time that I talked to you, you were still up in uh, Prince Albert, but you've relocated to Brandon, now working for the Brandon Sun. What do you have in the hopper right now uh, for that publication? It's been good. Um, a lot of what I've been doing here is more on the for the hockey side of things. Been a lot of the U18 with the uh, or formerly known as the AAA programs uh, out here in Western in Western Manitoba. I was doing a lot of that along the MJHL. There's four teams in Western Manitoba that are in our coverage zone, so I do a lot of that. And then when uh, Perry Bergson's off, I end up helping him on the weekend feed. So. Now that everything's officially done with the hockey season, it's a lot of catching up on chatting with people are from the area that are playing out of town and that kind of thing. So, And then whatever else we need to do around here in the office in the summer. So it's going to be a busy time, but it's time to relax again, finally. All right, well, before you start getting into a full relaxation mode and putting your feet up by the pool, i got to pick your <laughs> brain about the uh, recent Centennial Cup. Now, I know it wasn't that far away in Estevan. Were you able to get out there at all, or how much did you see uh, firsthand? 
Um, unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to go to Essen, even though it isn't that far away, but I was able to watch pretty much all the tournaments. Uh, it worked out pretty well the way the students were. I got to see everything from start to finish. It worked out pretty good. Had it worked out a little bit better timing-wise, I might have gone. But at the time of the year where I've already done all my traveling, the MGA playoffs and that kind of thing, it's like, you know what? I can watch the games on Hockey Canada's website all the way through. This worked out way better and cheaper on gas money. All right. Well, we know the way that it played out. The uh, Brooks Bandits, well, they were the top team in the entire country in the CJHL pretty much from wire to wire this season and uh, get to this tournament and, and cruise their way through it undefeated. They win the final game 4-1, dominated it all season long. They really were the team that uh, they they were expected to be, weren't they, at this tournament? Yeah, they pretty much came as advertised. High-octane offense and we saw that all the way through. We ended up setting a tournament record for the most number of goals scored by a team, which had previously been set by the old New Westminster team that hosted the event way back in 1990. Um, but yeah, I, I thought going in that they're probably going to be the favorites. We worked with the top-ranked team in the country, just how they dominated in the AJ all year, and they pretty much lived up to what I thought they were going to be like. Granted, um, I'm sure there was some pretty anxious moments when they were out shooting Pickering by a ton in the final, but found themselves down one nothing but then. Uh, once they got that goal from Aiden Fink in the third period, it felt like it just everything kind of switched up and Brooks kind of took control from things officially from there. And then I actually talked to Hunter Wallace, who's from nearby here in Oak Lake. Um, I guess it had been yesterday afternoon, and that was the same thing he thought, too. Like they felt like they were getting chances and they would eventually get rewarded, and that's exactly what happened. The Bandits dominated that last game. I, I caught a good portion of it, and they just badly, badly outplayed Pickering, just weren't able to find a goal until you know, midway through the third period, and then the dam broke, and uh, they went on and cruised from there. Now, the Bandits, they're going to have some guys who are draft eligible this year and getting some some interest. I think they have three or four guys on the list for Central Scouting. A lot of guys who are off to the NCAA as well. Who stood out for you in this event? Uh, obviously, it would be the, the high-end guys up front and offense. It's all guys that you've been following the AJ all year and pretty familiar with, but the guys like Ryan McAllister and TJ Hughes, uh, along with their other member of that line, <clears throat> excuse me, um, McCall- with McAllister and uh, Hughes leading the way up there on that line. Um, and they're just able to kind of really carry the control on offense, I felt like, all the way through, along with Devin Phillips, who's been able to escape me there for a minute. But I think it's really kind of the straw that served the drink, it felt like, pretty much from start to finish. And they had, we mentioned, like, the secondary score. I feel like guys like, Fink uh, and Wallace would be top end guys with any other team in the country, but this still happens that the way the lines are in Brooks, they're like secondary scoring options. Then you have Brooklyn on defense, a guy like Boston Buckberger, who's really stepped up his game, I feel like, as the year went on. And even I mean, he wasn't really challenged a lot, but I felt like a guy like Ethan Barwick, when he had to make saves, would be able to make saves whenever they came across. It was interesting because it wasn't like when the last time they were at the tournament, obviously in 19, there was a lot of really good guys, Carson Kuhlman was a little bit of ways away from being drafted. He had some experience playing during that playoff run. And then you had also two years before that with Kale McCarr was there were so many guys in that team. It just feels like whenever you get a team like Brooks there, it's gonna be that depth that ends up being what puts them through. And while there are some high end talent, some guys are probably gonna make a huge impact in the college scene uh, going forward. It's one of those things where you can't just stop one guy and I think that's what helps make Brooks so good as as I want to ask you about defenseman Zach Bookman, who I, I had on the show not all that long ago, maybe a month or two ago. Monster season this year for the Bandits. Now, he's not that big. He's listed at 5'10 and 175-ish pounds, maybe 180. But 
102 points this year in just 55 games. And he's a defenseman. Had that, uh, you know, carried that over to the playoffs. He had 10 points in the playoffs. In this tournament, he had eight points. Now, he only played four games, so he didn't play in, in all six games. But mm-hmm. what did he show you? Zach is one of those guys that, for me, like you said, is going into a tournament like this, it's like, whoa, look how many points he's put up. How, you know, is that a byproduct of just, is he a guy that helps out from being on a team like a Brooks where you can put up that many points, or is he that good? And I think, as you say, he didn't play every game in the tournament, but he was the guy where they watched him. I'm like, okay, he's definitely as advertised. Uh, and he, I mean, I don't think we expect him to put up 102 points in 55 games. If you did, I'd like to know. Uh, if you can help me make predictions next year on the AJHR or any year, a product. But um, I think we saw a sample of what he could do in the pandemic shortened year where he was a point-per-game guy a year ago, and he had that experience, and then with so many guys up there, it feels like on a team like them, on, again, he's kind of been in that mold of a guy that can put, put up points like guys like Dennis Asana, Sam McCarr in the past, but not 102 points, so... If a guy like him, I'm really curious to see. I know he's ranked by Central Scouting. I know Lee Prospect had him ranked uh, in their rankings. So it's going to be interesting to see if a guy like that, where he's a, re- a double reentry guy, but he's put up so many points, you have to just look at him. And I feel like that's going to be the case here uh, in a couple months when we see the draft. Yeah, I agree with that, Lucas. And we should point out he is 20 now. He turned 20 at the end of March. So it's not like this is his first year of, of being eligible for the NHL draft. So just want to point that out for the listeners now Pickering finished second in the tournament uh, anyone from the uh, the Panthers or any other impressions made on you from other guys in the event uh, that you uh, want to make mention of it was funny watching them in the, in the semifinal game against off and I was like half these guys that recognize from being former early show guys this is amazing I actually know half these people um but I think the one guy that stuff for me was Zachary Roy the former uh member of Hamilton just he was really good in the semifinal against Dauphin, uh, who's the teams I cover mainly around, uh, one of the teams I cover the NBA around here. He was really impressive in that game. I think a guy that, because he's a guy who played in the OHL, probably be a pretty solid option wherever he ends up in eSports going forward. Uh, another other guys in that team for Pickering, I mean, Lucas Rowe had a really nice backhand shot. If you're an OHL fan, you'll recognize him. He was a former first-round pick by London oh, so many years ago. And then a couple other guys in that game, like Dustin Hutton, um, and Giga Parts were pretty good one-two punch. Uh, Dawson, it has to be Carson Sherapak, who was the uh, MJHL top goaltender and playoff MVP. Um, just ridiculous numbers all week. And Dawson has some pretty good depth um, with different guys on the defense and the forward score. But Sherapak was really good throughout the course of the week. Um, so I definitely think he was the guy that stood out. Um, also, for WHL fans, uh, Braden Doobie, who's a... Uh, 16-year-old from Roblin. He was signed second-round pick by Seattle a year ago, or, or signed from the 2020 draft. Uh, he will more than likely be competing for a spot on Seattle, which is just what, if you're an American division fan, you don't want to hear. Seattle is getting another exciting high-end young talent. Um, but he's going to be a guy to watch going forward. Um, so those would definitely be the guys that put out there. Um, and then for Flynn Flon, because I got to watch a lot of their games, especially uh, being the same group as Dawson, but uh, Xavier LaPointe, who's defenseman of the year and top defenseman of the tournament, uh, his year in the SJH, I should say, was really good. Cal Shell, their goaltender, was solid. And a couple of different guys up front, but uh, Jacob Bockler uh, was a forward. I really liked seeing what he was able to do during the course of the week. Got to ask you about the format this year, Lucas, and uh, whether you liked it or not. Basically, you had 
the champs from uh, all nine teams in the CJHL used to be 10, but the BCHL pulled out. Uh, so you got nine champs and the one host team. So you got 10 teams, two pools of five. They basically have a round robin and go from there with a uh, crossover for the playoffs. What did you think of that moving forward? I liked it, and I hope they continue to do it. I did because of the fact that I got to see an SIJHL team there again. It's like, this is great. The team I, the league I used to cover way back when. Um, and also the NOJHL. I mean, I grew up in Northern Ontario. Um, I like it in the sense, too, because, I mean, the regional format is pretty cool to have those tournaments. But I think it also, if they continue to do this going forward, um, which will be interesting to see, and we'll talk a little bit about that. We'll talk about next year's host in a couple seconds. But I would curious to see if they keep doing that because I think it would also help with some of those leagues too, where you're able to maybe retain some talent and that kind of thing, and not have been a situation like everybody's going out to play in one of those top end leagues. They realize, hey, we can stick around the league that maybe we grew up in or closer to geography wise, and maybe have a good chance of being in the mix to go to a national championship. Now, I think maybe if we could get the BCHL back at any point, maybe you can look back at maybe cutting down the floor, but I think I'd make the tournament even better. If you could make it 10 teams that way or 11, maybe 12, and bring a top non-championship team uh, from the league that you're in, like the FC was this year. But um, it'll be interesting to see going forward. I know Portage is hosting uh, next year's tournament, but they haven't announced yet the format for that. So we care to see going forward if you do keep that extended format, how much that changes uh, teams that want to bid in the tournament because it may come down to a situation of what you have, not just for a ring, but also now what you're going to have for lodging because instead of five teams or four teams plus the host team, now you're going to have nine teams coming to your location. So it would be interesting to see if they keep it going forward. I would like to see it as a fan, but logistically-wise, I'm not sure that's going to be easy. It's going to be harder to do maybe than what it was now with the five-team format before. Well, that's a great point, Lucas. Uh, smaller markets might have a bit of a challenge with uh, to accommodate that many teams as well as the amenities. That's a great point moving forward. Lucas Puncari from the Brandon Sun is my guest. Hey, we're a year removed from the BCHL, removing themselves from the CJHL. I've been trying to get the commissioner to come on the show for like since they made that announcement. Uh, they just don't want to come on and talk about it. I just want you know a sort of an explanation of what the reasoning is behind it. And now that a year has gone by, has it worked? Has Whatever their goals were, have they achieved them? I want to get your impression or your opinion do you know why they did it? And do you think it's a, a good thing for the BCHL? I mean, the fact that you missed out on having Penticton versus Brooks, which you could have had for the normal season for the uh, turning it has been a five-team format, or just having Penticton there, which made a tournament even better, I think is kind of a missed opportunity in a way because I think with all due respect to some of the really strong junior program or junior A programs across the country, I feel like Penticton and Brooks are the creme de la creme right now. Um, this might not be a shocking development for those listening, but the chance that you could have had that on national stage would have been huge, I think. I, I'm really curious what they kind of do going forward, because I feel like with Penn Kitsis winning, because they lost their first game of the playoffs, and they rattled off 16 straight wins. It's really impressive, but I feel like it kind of, you know, for a casual audience, it kind of gets lost in the shuffle because everybody else is the national championship, and you're not there. Now, I don't know what they're playing is if they're, eventually want to do something with the USHL or maybe those leagues square off or this new league that's forming out uh, on the West Coast, um, kind of a different version of USHL there if you do something with them going forward. It's hard to say because it feels like there's a lot of buzz about it and like, oh, they're going to separate, maybe do something neat. But then it didn't feel like you really heard a lot of them over the year, which is the same because there's some pretty darn good talent out there. So there always is, but you guys got 
you have guys like Matt Wood who's there now is a pretty highly regarded player. So I feel like if you had had, a, you know, not to say that Victoria would have gotten through to the finals, obviously it didn't, but guys like him, you would have heard more about it. Maybe they're in the CGHL still uh, going forward because he would be in the top prospect team if that happens next year and the World Junior A Challenge if that happens, and that's not going to be the case. Lucas, before I let you go, the WHL final is now set. We know what's going to be the Edmonton Oil Kings and the Seattle Thunderbirds. Your thoughts on this matchup uh, and maybe what you expect to see as uh, the series gets going on Friday. Well, I'm not going to make any predictions or expectations because my brother is still rising on me. So when I go, oh, Winnipeg and Edmonton's going to be great. And then I went five games and he goes, I thought you told me this series was going to be good. But it was good for two games. He's like, that doesn't matter. It wasn't, it wasn't as good for somebody else's series. So he's been ragging on me for that. So do not expect a prediction. As it comes for the series itself, I mean, it felt like Edmonton is going into the year. This is kind of the last chance for that group, which had two really good opportunities missed out through the pandemic. But just the, the moves they were able to make, getting Justice Sir, Luke Crocop before that, Keaton Gooley, it just feels like they're, I wouldn't say maybe not a juggernaut, but it's kind of like a, just so many good options from top to bottom, they're top to top. But Seattle, it's funny, I was talking to Terry uh, Burson about this a couple of days ago. It feels like, in a way, Seattle's kind of arrived a year early, like they did in 2016 when they made the finals against Brandon. With, they have so many good young talents on some pretty solid bets. But it's going to be, I think, a pretty darn good matchup um, going into the series with Edmonton. I think what's going to be the key for me is just with Seattle, this, they're super battle-tested. Uh, the seven-game series with Portland and um, Andrews there were just finished up here on Tuesday. But the question for me with Seattle is, they got so many good guys, but just how much is left in the tank? I think it's going to be interesting going forward uh, with those two games with Edmonton. As it turns out, five games Edmonton, the way the schedule is, but... Um, I, I'm really curious. I think probably the biggest thing is just how much does Seattle have left? And I, I mean, I'm always the guy that's kind of looking ahead too, but for Seattle with a lot of those guys that are going to be coming back, if I'm Kansas, which I'm going to be gearing up to uh, preparing to host them cup, obviously in a year's time, I don't know if I want to deal with Seattle again in the playoffs. But it feels like those guys might be on a collision course in the Western Conference final year from now. Yeah, next year should be a, another banner year for the WHL. I think you got Kamloops and Seattle are going to be very good again. And in the East, Obviously, Winnipeg, I think Moose Jaw will be right up there as well. It's going to be another terrific season in the WHL. You had one more thing to add there at the end? Yeah, I was just going to say, another thing I think is going to be into with the goaltending matchup is just really the goaltending matchup because, I mean, everyone's talking about Sebastian Costa, but a guy like Thomas Mills is kind of, again, under the radar kind of guy with Seattle and a guy that I, I hope gets a look from NHL teams. I was really impressed with him watching him in the uh, shortened season a year ago. And it seems like he just kind of picked up where things are left off. So if there's an X factor, it might be the goaltending uh, matchup between those two guys. Yeah, goalie matchup will be one to watch. Lots of star power on uh, both squads. So it should definitely be a fun series uh, to wrap up the uh, WHL season. Lucas, as always, man, great to catch up with you once again. Thanks for doing this. We'll talk soon. Anytime. We'll talk again soon. There's Lucas Puncarry from the Brandon Sun. Always great when uh, Lucas is available to come on the show, and uh, it's good for him that he's made that move down to Brandon as well, getting to work with the legend himself, Perry Bergson from the Brandon Sun. All right, next up on the Pipeline Show, well, we got lots to get to. I, I have tentatively, I have four other guests coming up on this week's show as I'm speaking with you right now. Those interviews have not happened, but two of them are players who will be involved in the WHL final. We're also going to uh, look ahead to the final in the Ontario Hockey League and the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League, 
But fingers crossed, when we come back, it will be one of those players playing in the WHL final. Who that is, I'll tell you when we come back. You're listening to the Pipeline Show, fueled by Willock Beef Jerky. Hey, it's Jake Neighbors from the Edmonton Oil Kings. Sawchuck. Here comes Neighbors driving away. Backhander scores! What a shot! Oh, Jake Neighbors backhander on the rush. It's 4 3 Edmonton. And you're listening to the Pipeline Show. WHL Playoff Hockey returns to Rogers Place. And your 2022 Edmonton Oil Kings playoff passes are on sale now. For only $129 a seat, you get access to every home playoff game the Oil Kings play. And the more we play, the less you pay. Be there as NHL first-rounders Sebastian Kosa, Kaden Gooley, Dylan Gunther, and the powerhouse Oil Kings chase the crowd. Edmonton Oil Kings playoff passes are on sale now. Great family entertainment at Rogers Place. All WHL playoff long starts at just $129 a seat at oilkings.ca slash playoff pass. You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. It's the cheapest drug there is. Hey, we're back on the Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. The program brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. It's Alberta's best beef jerky. You can go to wilhockbeefjerky.com. W I L H A U K beefjerky.com. My guest today uh, getting set for the WHL's uh, final championship series uh, here, starting on Friday right here in Edmonton. And a uh, pleasure to be joined once again by Justin Sordoff of the Edmonton Oil Kings. Justin, welcome back to the program. Uh, last time you were on the show, you were with Vancouver. So it's been a while. Good to catch up with you here on the uh, on the show. Uh, how are things? Oh, well, I'm doing pretty good right now. Um, team's excited. Uh, big game coming up on Friday, and we're uh, we're all pumped. Yeah, I have to think so. I, I mean, I'm excited, and I'm not even playing in the game. I just get to uh, be part of the broadcast, but... Uh, this has been a long time coming. It's been uh, since 2019 since the WHL has had playoffs. And the Oil Kings, you weren't here for the last couple of years, but the Oil Kings have been contenders for the last three years had there been playoffs. Uh, but you're one of the few guys who actually does have uh, experience this deep into the playoffs because back in 2019 with the Vancouver Giants, you were in the final against Caden Gooley, now a teammate uh, with the Prince Albert Raiders. But good to be back uh, this deep playing this late in the season, isn't it? Yeah, no, it's a really good feeling kind of walking to the rink and then coming out and, you know, the sun's still up. It's still, you know, over 20 degrees. Uh, it's a good feeling, um, you know, to be in the finals, to be in that championship series. It means a lot to our, our team, uh, coach and staff and, uh, you know, all our fans. So uh, we're going to do our best to, to bring it home. You get into the final this year, have only suffered one loss on the way to the final, 12-1 uh, and one in the postseason. I, I don't know if that was what you expected. I thought the Red Deer series was going to be a, a longer one than, than it turned out to be, and, and I think everybody thought the Winnipeg one would be a longer series. What is clicking right for you guys right now? Because you are making short work of some pretty good teams. Uh, we just stay consistent with what we know. Um, I think our systems are a big part of it, and just the the work ethic and depth we have on our team, I think, has contributed to our success. Uh, great goaltending um, from Kosa, and we've just had you know a bunch of different guys step up um, with injuries or you know suspension. Some of our younger guys have stepped into the lineup and played the big roles for us, and uh, I think just having everyone rolling is uh, kind of what's been the biggest key. And also uh, games that I think we were more disciplined in, uh, it kind of, I guess the flow of the game's a bit easier for our team. And, you know, once we get going, we don't stop. You know, I've had people tell me that Edmonton, when they try to analyze your team, 
you're a club that can play at any style you want. Whether it, you know if it becomes a track meet, you certainly have the, the the speed and the overall offense to to skate with anybody and outscore anybody. And if you want to get physical, there's enough uh, bodies on the on the team that can uh, play that style of game as well. The the Oil Kings are up for uh, any kind of uh, competition. What are you expecting now against uh, the Seattle Thunderbirds, uh, a team that other than you, nobody else on your team has seen this year. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I tried to watch a couple games, um, you know, on Seattle. I, I actually haven't played them since my 17-year-old season. Okay. So, uh, yeah, but, uh, no, you know, from talking to guys back on Vancouver who've played against them and whatnot this year, they said Seattle's just a big, heavy, fast-skilled team. Um, and, you know, they're not to be, you know, underestimated. And I think that's a good thing going in. It's best on best. It's the finals. And we're really looking forward to it. In Seattle, they've had good goaltending. They've been down in series and they've climbed back. Uh, and, uh, you know, they're really a persevering team. And they're also a good team on the road. So it'll be a challenge and uh, our team's up for it. For yourself uh, personally, Justin, uh, 11 points here in the postseason. Uh, four of those are goals, a, a massive overtime goal against the Winnipeg Ice that I think everybody who hasn't seen it yet, I, I'm sure they can find it online. Walk me through that goal because it was uh, certainly a spectacular one. Um, I, uh, I got a really nice pass from Jake after he had uh, struck one of their players at our own blue line. Uh, we had no backhand tape to tape uh, as I was skating through center ice and um, I kind of saw the two defensemen there and one, one other guy, I guess, back checking from behind and thought I'd just challenge one-on-one and, you know, kind of ended up working out. Uh, it all happened so fast. I didn't really think about it, uh, I guess, as it was happening, just kind of a reaction thing. Easily uh, one of the biggest goals of your career so far? Uh, no, I definitely say so. Um, you know, playoff goals are huge, uh, no matter what they are. Uh, if it's a highlight real goal or, uh, you know, a greasy one in the crease, uh, every goal is huge, but um, no, I'll definitely remember that one. Justin Sordoff of the Edmonton Oil Kings, uh, my guest here on the Pipeline Show. All right, let's uh, look back at the season that was. And uh, for yourself, started the year in Vancouver. When the trade was announced, uh, I don't know how long it had been. How long did you know about it, that it was going to happen before it was actually announced? Uh, to be honest, probably like 40 minutes before. Oh, really? Or maybe, yeah. Um, so it was on trade deadline day and I was at the rink and uh yeah no, it was uh it was a weird day but it was like you know a lot of mixed emotions because um you've been in an organization for that long and then you know guys you kind of came into the league with you're uh you know you're kind of leaving them and uh it's tough in that way but you also uh you know see the kind of team that the oil kings had and i was really happy to be a part of that and, you know I guess have a fresh start with this uh, amazing group of guys here in Edmonton. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're a lower mainland guy, right, Richmond? So you're from that area. Yeah. You get to play at home with all your buddies and stuff, and four full years basically, and then uh, you get traded, and not just traded Edmonton, but traded in January, uh, in uh, you know, in the middle of winter. What was that like for you when you first arrived? Uh, yeah, no, it was a uh, was a bit different. I uh, <laughs> had to get used to to driving in the snow. Um, and that was uh, that was for a while. Um, but uh, no, I, I'm really happy that the sun's out now. You can say that. Well, I know your uh, line mates have changed a lot since you've been here in Edmonton. Uh, right now, you're playing with Jake and with Dylan Gunther, pre- pretty good teammates. Although that that's kind of changed here throughout the playoffs as well. Uh, what is it about your game that allows you to to fit and, and to play with uh, a variety of different players? Uh, I think that's because I just try and be, uh, you know, kind of a well-rounded player. So if it's a speed game, I'll be able to play a speed game with whatever line I'm on or uh, it's a cycle heavy 
puck protection kind of game down low. I'm able to play that game as well. And um, just focusing on being really good with my, uh, my angles in the neutral zone and good with my sticks uh, and hard on, you know, hard on guys in the corners in the D zone, I think is, uh, you know, kind of my game. So uh, I think that I guess is what's able to help me uh, in those kind of situations. I imagine it's fun playing with uh, star players like Jake and with, and with Dylan, is it is it hard though sometimes because they're so good? I mean, you're at that level as well. I mean, you're all world junior team members with Canada, but is it a challenge? I think everybody naturally expects that it's going to be easy because you're playing with star players. But is it hard too? I wouldn't I wouldn't say it's hard. Um, you know, those guys, you make a, a headman pass, you got to skate pretty pretty fast up the ice, I guess, to catch up to them. Uh, you know, when they're on a fast break. But no, I definitely wouldn't say it's hard. I mean, like you give them the puck in the slot they're going to score uh you give them the puck anywhere around the net actually you're going to score and they find you that's the beauty about both of those guys is they're very well-rounded players as well you can rely on both of those guys in the d zone they play just as hard in the d zone as they do in the other two zones so and uh yeah no playing with them is just uh it's an absolute pleasure um high iqs fast strong and uh, just incredibly skilled. Justin, has your role in Edmonton, uh, is it different than what you were doing in Vancouver? I mean, obviously you're expected to contribute offensively in both places, but was the style of game that you were expected to play a little bit different? Uh, I mean, yeah, I guess coming over here, um, you know, just with the team we have, um, we could play a really fast-paced game here and uh, just jump up, I guess, in the rush a little bit more and not play... uh, such a defensive game um i was able to i guess make more plays uh in the ozone uh, and whatnot but uh in vancouver i did the same thing didn't really change my game too much when i came to edmonton but yeah the systems are a little bit different and uh, it's kind of geared to just playing a really fast-paced game so uh, that was just something i had to adjust to i mentioned the, the playoffs experience that you have and uh, caden has uh, as well as a, a member back in uh, 2019 with the prince albert raiders i guess at this point everybody's got playoff experience but at the start of the postseason this year it was it was a you know pretty short supply i think your team actually had over 100 man games but that was pretty rare uh, around the league has that been something that's been an advantage for your club to because playoff hockey, correct me if I'm wrong, it's a little bit different than regular season hockey, isn't it? Yeah, no, it's a, a lot uh, more physical, really heavy. Um, and, uh, you know, the games might go to two or three overtimes, like, uh, you know, it didn't Red Deer and Brandon. So uh, you got to be prepared for a dogfight until uh, the very end. And every game matters, right? There's no, uh, you know, overtime winning goal gets two points. Uh, other team gets one point. It's just one win uh, added to the series. And, uh, it's the beauty of playoffs is it, it can go by pretty quickly or it can be a pretty long drawn out process. So uh, it's just about going with the flow and, you know, kind of sticking to your systems and, you know, what you know. Uh, do you spend much time thinking about next year or is that dangerous to, to lose focus a little bit at all? Uh, but I mean, you're signed player, you're drafted by the Florida Panthers, you, you're going to be playing professionally next season. Uh, but do you think about that at all? No, uh, I think the best thing for, any player uh, is to just kind of stay in the moment, um, you know, whatever team you are, you're on currently uh, just focus and put all your time and energy into, to what you're trying to achieve with that team. Uh, and that's what I'm trying to do here um, with Edmonton. Uh, you know, the job's not finished. Uh, there's, you know, four more games to go until uh, uh, the championship or four more wins, I should say. And, you know, that's all we're trying to do. I 
completely put, uh, you know, the rest of uh, the other thoughts out of my mind, I guess, uh, for the summer and next season. All right, I'm going to wrap it up with uh, a couple of thoughts about the Oil Kings. I mean, you came here as a longtime member of uh, one organization, coming here, getting a taste of of uh, this conference and uh, playing in this building. Uh, what's been the biggest difference for you? Uh, <laughs> I mean, playing with, uh, you know, Jake and Dylan and Such and Williams and just all those guys, uh, it's just been, you know, really cool experience. Uh, it's not often you get uh, that many guys, I guess, who are on a world junior team on the same junior team as well. And uh, no, it was a pretty cool experience to be, uh, you know, a part of. And I've really enjoyed this run with this team. Um, it's uh, it's meant a lot to me, especially to get back here. But uh, no, between the West and the East, uh, I don't think there's a huge difference. No? Okay. Well, Justin, <laughs> yeah. listen, I really appreciate your time. Uh, best of luck starting on Friday. The uh, Oil Kings hosting the Seattle Thunderbirds uh, five games. If it goes, get, it goes seven games deep, five of them will actually take place here in Edmonton, which is an interesting twist. But uh, I really appreciate your time, man. Best of luck. Thanks. No, I appreciate it. Thank you. There's Florida Panthers third-round selection Justin Sordiff, who began the year with the Vancouver Giants. Trade deadline acquisition by Kurt Hill and the Edmonton Oil Kings. And I got to tell you, I said it to him off the air at the end. I, I really enjoy watching him play. I don't have any question that this is a, a future NHLer. So smart and so skilled. And he does things differently than a lot of players uh, that the Oil Kings already have. Does it differently than they do. Not afraid to attack one-on-one. Not that there are other guys on the team who also play that style, but he's got the skill set and the IQ where he's successful more often than not. And uh, the highlight reel goal that probably most people have seen against the Winnipeg Ice in round three, he tries stuff like that quite often. Uh, he's a lot of fun to watch. Florida's got a good one in Justin Sorda. Now the Old Kings will be taking on the Seattle Thunderbirds, and a member of that team is uh, highly rated for the 2022 NHL Draft. So we'll turn on the draft spotlight next, and we'll get to know defenseman Kevin Korczynski of the Seattle Thunderbirds. He's coming up next here on the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. Behind the goal line, looking in front for Kolasar. Bring it to the slot, to the legs, Barzell. Watson, back shot, and he will score! Hi, this is Matt Barzell, Seattle Thunderbirds, and you are listening to Pipeline Show. Nothing compares to the smile on a child's face after their wish has been granted. The Rainbow Society of Alberta is dedicated to granting wishes throughout the province to children who have been diagnosed with a life-threatening or severe chronic medical illness. And you can help too. View the wishes, refer a child, and donate at rainbowsociety.ab.ca or get involved as a volunteer. Having a wish come true fills a child's heart with hope and happiness. Visit rainbowsociety.ab.ca today. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. The cream will rise to the top, oh yeah. The cream of the crop! Nobody does it better. We are back on the Pipeline Show with Key Flaming, the program brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. It's Alberta's best beef jerky. Go to wilhockbeefjerky.com. I'll spell it. W-I-L-H-A-U-K beefjerky.com. 
We just had a uh, player who is getting set for the WHL uh, final starting on Friday from the Edmonton Oil King perspective. This time we're heading to the Seattle Thunderbirds uh, perspective, and it's a also a 2022 draft spotlight segment. My next guest, one of the top-ranked players out of the Western Hockey League, eligible for the upcoming NHL draft. That would be defenseman Kevin Korchinski. Uh, Kevin, welcome to the program. How are you? Uh, good. I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing fantastic, but uh, I think your your life is a little bit more exciting than mine right now. You got the NHL draft coming up, but first you got the WHL championship uh, starting here uh, this weekend. Uh, what's the mood and the atmosphere around uh, the dressing room right now? Because it's been a quick turnaround since your uh, your victory over the Kamloops Blazers in seven games. You hop on a bus, you get through the mountains, and you're right here getting set for the next series. Yeah, um, yeah, obviously a quick turnaround, but uh, all the guys are excited. Like we're uh, we're ready to go. We're prepping and. Uh, we're ready. We're uh, we've earned this. So um, yeah, we're really excited for it. Uh, it's always nice to play uh, different competition. It'll be the first time we play Edmonton this year. So um, they're a great team. We're a great team. So it's gonna be a great series. How do you get prepared for a team that you you haven't seen? I mean, I don't, I don't think Seattle and Edmonton have played since what 2018, maybe 2019. Yeah. Um. Obviously, we got a lot of video on them, but uh, I guess for uh, a team that you haven't played, you just gotta play your own game. Like you gotta stick to what works um for your team and uh. Just stick with it, and uh, that's what we're going to do. All right. Well, let's talk about the, the how you got to this point and the last couple of series. You've, I mean, the, the Hebirds were down. You had to come from behind to beat both Portland and the Kamloops Blazers. There's no quit in your, your team, and I guess that gives you confidence. If you happen to get down in a series, you know you can work your way back. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's been uh, – when we've been down, we just uh, – we play desperation hockey, and uh, we don't want to go home. Like, we got a really tight group of guys, and uh, when our back's against the wall, we're uh, – we play our best. We just we just don't want to go home. We uh we're all in on this and uh yeah, we got a great group of guys. So um when your locker room's tight, uh it really helps when you're down, you don't get down on each other and uh it's been awesome up until this point. Well, for fans uh, here, because we haven't seen uh, the T Birds play, at least not in person, maybe some fans will be watching online and stuff, but uh, for the benefit of the audience here that will get to guy watch you guys play on Friday and Sunday for games one and two, what should they expect? How do you describe your team? Uh, what's, you know, sort of the, the identity of your club? Yeah. Um, I guess we're a, a really deep and uh fast team. We use our speed. We uh, get pucks down low and uh, yeah, we, uh, we play a gritty style of game with kind of a skill mix. So um, yeah, we, we, uh, we stick to our game. We fight back and uh, yeah, we lay, uh, we lay our bodies on the line. What do you know about the oil Kings? Yeah, um, obviously we, uh, we know a lot of their players just with pre-scouting and stuff like that. Um, and they got a lot of great players, a lot of players who I've watched before. So, um, great team, uh, great competition. Uh, how much do you talk to a guy like Lucas Fakoski, who, uh, with all his time spent in Medicine Hat, knows this team probably better than anybody else in your roster? Yeah, um, talk to Sedge, uh, great guy. Yeah, he, uh, kind of talked to him about, uh, what to expect. He played them this year. So, um, when they did have, uh, sort of and Gooley, um, after the trades there. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, you just said really good team. Um, and, uh, it's going to be a challenge, but, uh, we're up for the challenge. Excited about playing in a, in an NHL building like this. Uh, it'd be your first time playing at Rogers place. And I imagine the same for a lot of your teammates as well. Is it, uh, intimidating at all? Um, I wouldn't say so. We got to uh, play at the climate pledge arena, um, right. down in Seattle this year against Everett. And uh, I guess that kind of prepped us for a big rink like this. Um, at that game, there was quite a lot of fans, a lot of noise, and it was just rivalry game against Everett. So, um, yeah, we uh, 
we're ready for this and uh, we're ready for the moment. Right, exactly. Great. I forgot you guys did that. Uh, Kevin Korczynski is my guest. He's a defenseman with the Seattle Thunderbirds, a draft eligible player this year. Uh, for yourself, uh, uh, Kevin, this season, uh, remarkable numbers, uh, 65 points in 67 games. Obviously a, a really offensive guy. Now, I should point out only four of those uh, were goals. You're a guy who I'm getting the impression you're starting the transition up the ice on the on the power play. You're probably the guy who feeds the guy who shoots the puck. Yeah, um, I guess yeah, I I, I describe myself as more of a pass first guy. Um, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, we got so many good shooters on our team, so um, trying to get the puck in their hands at the right spot. Um, is what I try and do. But obviously, um, we all have roles in our team, and uh, we all play them. So um, I guess benefit to all our teammates they've really helped me this year and uh helped me i guess improve too has your defensive partner been the same pretty much all year or have you been playing with uh, different guys throughout the season yeah um kind of been playing with different guys just uh how it's been working whether um injuries or uh naz um canasco coming over just stuff like that so um we kind of like have been i guess i've been with everybody and i think all the other d have been with different d partners just how it works so um Whoever we're partner with, we're comfortable and uh, can kind of read off each other no matter what. You've had a couple of uh, guys who have come back after not being there for the start of the season or for large stretches of the season. You, you mentioned Sam Canasco, also uh, Tyrell Bauer. I mean, he's a leader for your club. Great for him that he was just able to sign with the Winnipeg uh, Jets. But, uh, I mean, what does he mean to your team uh, specifically? Yeah, um, he's our uh, great captain. He's a locker room guy. And... Uh, I've been deep partners, I guess, with him for a long stretch of the year, and uh, he's been phenomenal in the playoffs. He worked his uh, butt off to come back from the injury and uh, didn't let it really lose a stride. He's been awesome for us. So, um, yeah, it's uh, it's great to have him back in the lineup um, for being on so long, and uh, everybody was so happy when uh, he came back. Kevin Korczynski, my guest. Now, you're draft-eligible player, and this part of the uh, show, we like to get to know a player who is in your position being a draft-eligible guy. There'll be a lot of casual NHL fans that'll listen to a segment like this. The Pipeline Show is a junior and college hockey show, so my regular listeners will know about the dub. They'll know about you. But for the casual NHL fans who are tuning into this just because they want to know about the draft-eligible guys, maybe let's get some background on you first. Uh, Where are you from, Kevin? I'm from Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, so in the prairies. Do you remember how old you were when you first started playing, and, and who got you into hockey at a young age? I don't know exactly when I started playing hockey, but I started like skating when I was like two or three. My dad, uh, he played on the blades, actually, so mm-hmm. he uh, got me into hockey really, really early. So um, he was always my biggest influence when I was a kid, um, getting on the ice and just driving me um, to morning skates and stuff like that. So he, uh, yeah, he really helped me. You're a defenseman. Was he a defenseman, too? No, he was a forward, actually. I didn't follow in his footsteps. All right. Did you, did you try? Like, were you a forward at a younger age and moved to D, or, or did you always just find it, it comfortable on the blue line? Yeah, I, uh, I played, I guess, D most of my life, and I had, for some things I'd play forward, just uh, numbers-wise and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, at an early age, I started playing defense, and I kind of just stuck with it, and I uh, enjoyed it a lot. Now, I know uh, maybe at novice, you know, six or seven years old or something, your team might not have a full-time goaltender. So a lot of players will tell me that, you know, the coach will say, oh, it's your turn, you got to play a net this game or something like that. Uh, did you have one of those when you were really young? Yeah, yeah, that's what happened. We had kind of a rotation in novice where each player got to be goalie for one game. Yeah. And uh, I remember my game, um, me and my buddy, we we were uh, kind of the better players in each, each uh, team. So we kind of set it up where, 
we'd be goalies against each other, so we kind of dueled it out, and it was a, it was a lot of fun. Do you, how'd it go for you that game? Do you remember? I think we won, but I think it was a pretty high-scoring game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, well, Kevin, take me back to the uh, the Bannon draft. You didn't have to wait long on uh, on draft day. Tenth overall pick by the uh, Seattle Thunderbirds. Uh, what do you remember from that experience? A lot of guys will tell me that they stayed home from school or other guys were at school and following it along uh, on their phone or whatever. What was draft day like for you? Yeah, I, uh, I remember I had a test in the morning, so I uh, I went to school and I I kind of just like, it was it was kind of weird test with a gym test, so like it wasn't like too like strict, you could say. So um, we kept taking like bathroom breaks just to check on our phones, like me and my buddies. And uh, he kind of he told me that Seattle had drafted me, and I I didn't believe him at the time just because like um, I thought he was just like joking. But um, when I looked and I saw it, I was just uh, it was special. I got to kind of celebrate it with my friends, and uh, yeah, it was a really special moment. Well, I wonder because I mean you're a Saskatoon guy. The Blades were picking right before Seattle. Well, the Seattle picked eight and ten. Uh, when when Saskatoon was picking, and they looked past the the local guy. What was your thoughts on that? And then getting to selected right after by Seattle. It would, it would obviously be cool to play in your hometown, but uh, um, uh, the, the Seattle Thunderbirds, that's uh, that was the perfect fit for me. Um, I've improved so much down here, and it's uh, it's been awesome. I uh, obviously it's always it would be cool just kind of play the same team my dad played on, but mm-hmm. um, I I'm so grateful. Um, Seattle picked me. It's uh, been the best for my development and. Uh, Obviously, the coaching staff, the players, um, everyone. It's uh, top-notch, so it's been amazing. Now that uh, this series is in Edmonton uh, and you haven't been able to play against the Eastern Conference at all, uh, do you, are your fa- is your family still in the Saskatoon area? Yeah, well, my uh, yeah, we're still, we still um, live in Saskatoon. And, uh, yeah, my mom and my dad are coming to the game there you um, go. tomorrow. So, they're, uh, yeah, they're, uh, they're excited to uh, come watch. They were banking on us. Um, beating Kamloops because uh, they really wanted to come watch. And they, uh, yeah, um, so it, it turned out for the best and uh, get to uh, play uh, some of the highest level hockey for my parents. So you're going to have some family here. I know you got a lot of teammates who are from this area. There's going to be a lot of, uh, of Seattle jerseys in the crowd, I would have to think. You guys must be pretty excited to, to have this series in Edmonton like that. Yeah, yeah, we got a lot of Alberta guys on our team. So I know a lot of... Uh, a lot of guys um, have families that are coming, which is uh, always nice on a, a road, I guess, series um, where we start uh, as other teams barn. So, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be good. Hopefully, get uh, some fans. But uh, whether we do or not, we're just gonna stick to our game. Kevin Korczynski is my guest. Kevin, I gotta ask you about the draft before uh, I let you go. Uh, it's not that far away now. I imagine you're focused on the here and now and and not looking too far ahead, but. Over the course of the season, are you a guy who who tries to ignore the rankings and things like that, or are you one of those players who uses that as motivation? Yeah, um, I'd say kind of this year to try to ignore the draft process. Um, we had a goal to show you a year that we wanted to get to the finals and uh, get here, so that was kind of everybody's main focus. So um, I try to ignore it. Obviously, when they you come out with rankings, um, I try to use it as motivation best I can, just another thing to kind of fuel the fire. So um, I try to um, ignore. Um, it as much as you can to not read into it, but um, obviously when you have stuff that can kind of motivate you, um, just helps you out. And uh, yeah, you got to go to the top prospect game. What was that experience like for you? Yeah, it was uh, awesome. I, I enjoyed playing against uh, some of the best competition all of CHL. So it was uh, got to meet a lot of good guys. Got to kind of um, play against a lot of good guys. So 
um, it was special. Got to kind of um, do it with uh, Gusterson and Schaefer. So mm-hmm. that was special as well, getting to have my teammates there alongside me. So great experience. And uh, yeah, it was good. One thing I wanted to ask about your club, I mean, there are a lot of guys, you got, what, seven players who are already drafted on your team? I think it's seven, and there's a three or four of you who probably will get drafted here in a, in a month and a half. That's a lot of talent. Who do you think on your club does not get a, enough recognition? Like, who's the unsung hero? Or I imagine there are a couple of guys that come to mind, but, you know, who's somebody that you think should get recognized more than he does? Yeah, um, I guess these are probably two guys that... uh Next year are going to be drafted. I'd say Nico Mayadovic and Samaremba. Mm-hmm. They're two guys who play the right way. Um, great, great, great kind of habits, great defensive play. Um, and just we got so many great guys. So um, obviously um, they've had to kind of play a different role than they normally used to. And uh, I think next year they're both going to have huge years and uh, kind of show, um, be able to kind of play more, show more, get more opportunities. So I think those two guys are uh, great. Like, they're just great guys and uh, will help our team win. Kevin, yeah, as a Saskatchewan guy, no NHL team in that province. Uh, who was your club growing up uh, that you cheered for? I was uh, I cheered for Chicago. Um, my dad was a big Chicago fan. He loved how they played and how um, they kind of passed and just dominated possession and all that. So I kind of hopped on his bandwagon. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I uh, I kind of just stuck with what he enjoyed. All right. And just for the record, the sheet I'm looking at says 6'2 and 185. How up to date is that? Is that uh, still accurate? Yeah, um, yeah, six two. Uh, I haven't, I guess, weighed myself in a while, but I, last time I weighed myself, I was one eighty five. All right. Well, listen, Kevin, I'm really uh, looking forward to the weekend series here, the uh, Seattle Thunderbirds against the Edmonton Oil Kings for the Ed Chenoweth Cup. Uh, best of luck to you and uh, your teammates. Should be a great series. Awesome. Thank you very much. Kevin Korczynski, defenseman of the Seattle Thunderbirds, one of the marquee names on that roster, and there are a lot of them. This should be a fantastic series between the Oil Kings and the T-Birds. A lot of depth. They got a lot of drafted players. Now, it's a little different when you're looking at where they're drafted compared to the Oil Kings. The Oil Kings have four first-rounders. Uh, Seattle, all of their guys are picked, I believe, fourth-rounder later. But there's some of their young guys. I mean, they got four guys I think are going to get drafted this year, Korczynski probably being the, the first of those. But then you got Reed Schaefer and Jordan Gustafson. I think there's probably a pretty good chance that Thomas Millich might be selected as a later round guy. Jeremy Hansel, I was a little surprised, didn't get picked last year. Jared Davidson has had just had an amazing season, 89 points this year. 42 of those were goals. Now he's not 17 or 18. In fact, he'll turn 20 in July. But uh, could be back in the WHL next year, but uh, might be one of those guys who's been passed over and after a breakout season this year uh, might be on the radar. So uh, the Seattle Thunderbirds, they've got a lot of talent, great fan base too, very passionate on social media. Uh, I think this is going to be a a really fun series. Let me know who you're picking. Hit me up on Twitter at TPS underscore Gee. All right, now we've got two other uh, leagues to look in on, the OHL and the Q. We're going to handle the Q next. Got a Q insider lined up. He's going to tell us. Who's the team to beat? Is it Shawinigan or is it Charlottetown? We'll handle that next. You're listening to the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. And Raymond stays with him. Lafreniere pokes it ahead, still has it. Rolling puck, Lafreniere works it, shoots, scores! What a goal by Alexi Lafreniere! A superstar in the making! This is Alexi Lafreniere of the Rimouski Oceanic, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show.
Since 1965, Wilhawk Beef Jerky has provided fresh, top-quality beef jerky made with 100% Alberta beef. From your very first bite, you'll understand that real jerky isn't found at the convenience store. It's tender, full of flavor, with just a hint of subtle spices. Wilhawk's jerky is aged, seasoned, and marinated to lock in the flavors, and then smoked to perfection. Wilhawk Beef Jerky. It might just be the best you've ever tasted. Try for yourself. Search W-I-L-H-A-U-K today. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. I think I'm getting the black lung pop. Back on The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming, we've got a couple more segments to get to. We've previewed the WHL final, and now we're going to do the same with the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League uh, final. As now we know the two teams, they're going to be Shawinigan and Charlottetown, and the winner will advance to the Memorial Cup uh, along with host St. John. And uh, to talk about all of it, is Jamie Tozer from uh, Station Nation. Uh, Jamie, welcome back to the Pipeline Show. It's been a long time. How are things? Things are good. Thanks for having me back, Keith. Well, I appreciate you uh, being available. I appreciate uh, that your perspective, you're going to be able to tell us all about these three clubs uh, that are uh, still in contention for the national championship this year. Uh, let's start with the, the final, though. Shawin again against Charlottetown. Is there a surprise here to, out from the outside looking in, very much the outside looking in? It looked like there was a lot of parity in the queue this year, so there are you know, you can make a pretty good case for five or six teams. Uh, is it a surprise that these are the two left? Uh, definitely not in my mind. I think uh, most people probably had Charlottetown making it this far or and maybe even into the final. Um, it's a team that's been, been pretty good for um, quite a while, and they just haven't quite been able to get past the semifinals. Um, but you knew they had a really good chance this year, and they finally got through. So um, nice to see the Charlottetown fans who have – been through a lot of ups and downs over the years to see them finally get rewarded with the, a trip to the final. Mm-hmm. Um, on the Schwinnigan side, you know, I think you look at their record, I think they were the seventh seed in the regular season, um, but they had a ton of injuries um, throughout the season. And I think if they were had been healthy all season, they probably would have been um, a few slots higher, if not significantly higher in the standings. Um, and the thing about Schwinnigan too is that they've always been lined up um, in their rebuild cycle with St. John. So you knew um, that both teams are probably going to be good this season. So uh, definitely definitely not a huge shock to see either of these teams in the final, and I think it should be a pretty good final. Well, the series starts on Saturday. Uh, Charlottetown has the home ice advantage, and that is a great story. First time they've ever been uh, this far in the playoffs. They've never made the final before, let alone won the league title. So great story uh, to see Charlottetown there. How important is home ice advantage, do you think? I think it's going to be big. I think mainly, you know, not to not to say that the Charlottetown fans aren't intimidating, but Schoenigan is is a tough building to play in, and, and we all remember the 2012 Memorial Cup and the atmosphere um, in that building, and it's been it's been electric the past couple rounds um, there as well. So I think I think for Charlottetown, just perhaps not having to play as many games there is going to be a huge advantage. Um, but I think you know Charlottetown fans are going to be excited. I know um, at the time of this recording, Game One had been sold out. Um, game two is looking like it'll probably be close, if not sold out too. So I think it'll be a, a, a rock and building in Charlottetown. They've been waiting uh, a long time for this. Do you know what capacity is at that rink? Uh, Charlottetown, I think, is around thirty-five, four thousand. Oh, so, great! Uh, you know, it's uh, it's uh, it's going to be a, a good junior hockey building and good junior hockey feel to it. All right. Well, for uh, fans who are might be tuning in just for the final and uh, uh, haven't seen either team play all season or something like that, who are some of the standout players? Let's start with Sh- uh, Charlottetown. The guys who are going to be counted on to get things done. I count six guys who are drafted by NHL teams, and they're 
There might be uh, a few others who are getting some interest as well, whether they're first time eligible for the draft now or maybe some overage guys who are, are uh, rounding out their their junior careers right now and looking to earn contracts. Who who stands out from uh, the Islanders for you? Yeah, I think the the biggest guy who is one of the undrafted players and Patrick Gay, um, you know, this guy has been one of the best best scoring players in the league uh, uh, this season. Uh, had just a phenomenal season, um, and I think playoffs playoffs and a regular season combined, he's around sixty five goals now this year. Um, so not not too bad. Um, <laughs> Xavier Simino is another guy who's going to be uh, uh, unfortunately for Charlottetown, suspended for game one, uh, but he's another key part of their offense. But Charlotte, the thing about Charlottetown is, they, you know, you look at their roster, they might not have quite, you know, the star power, the big names um, that you're going to see on posters of the league, but they're just so deep and they've been like that for so long. Um, this is very much a, a typical Charlottetown team that we've seen um, over the years um, in, in Lucas Cormier on the back end as well, as you know, uh, fans might know. I would be a little bit more familiar with, but Charlotte kind of just so deep and they, that's been their identity for a number of years now. Um, but they just hadn't quite had the, the offense to get over that hump. But I think this year uh, with Gay and Semino and others, um, it seems to be working together. So um, a really, really good team. And uh, I think there's some guys um, on this team that you might remember, even if they're not, uh, not known to you uh, right now. Not a, a household name uh, between the pipes. Who is the goaltender for Charlottetown? Yeah, Lapena, Francisco Lapena. Uh, he he was phenomenal in the last series, especially uh, in that last game in Game Four. Uh, I think he faced over 20 shots in the third period um, against Sherbrooke. So he's been he's been sensational. Um, and this is a guy who, um, you know, some Charlottetown fans wondered if they maybe overpaid a little bit for him um, at the trade deadline. You know, they had pretty decent goaltending heading into the, the second half, but they. Uh, opted upgrade and it's looking like a really good move right now all right and on the flip side the, the Shawinigan cataract uh, outside of Xavier Borgo who uh, fans even around here will recognize the name because he's a first round pick of the Edmonton Oilers they've got some other uh, bigger name players as well Maverick Bork Olivier Nadeau uh, who else from that team stands out well those guys you just mentioned are, are the big guys and and they're I don't want to say necessarily the opposite of Charlottetown, but they're much more much more top heavy um, mm-hmm. compared to the Islanders. And that that top line of Bork, Nado, uh, Borgo is, is obviously one of the best lines in the country. Probably um, a really really good uh, top line. And when when they've been healthy this season, they've been phenomenal um, and they've been excellent so far in these playoffs as well. But uh, I think Pierre Dubé, who uh, had a hat trick in uh, the last game in Quebec City, uh, Game Five. Um, an overage player who was playing uh, in the ECHL in the first half. He's been a great addition to this team. Um, uh, you know, maybe on the back end, maybe uh, not quite uh, the star power that maybe Charlottetown has, but they seem to be doing uh, a decent job. So, um, but again, the thing about Schwinnigan, I think they just they need to get that top line going, and it's going to be a challenge against the team that's uh, as deep and as defensive minded as Charlottetown. Antoine Coulomb was the the goaltender in the the uh, the game the couple of games that I saw in the last series against the uh, Quebec Rampart. Is he the guy that uh, will be carrying the ball for them uh, once the finals start? Definitely looks that way. Um, and um, you know, a guy that doesn't have a ton of uh, of playoff experience, but uh, seems to be doing a doing a pretty good job. Um, I think maybe Charlottetown has a little bit of an edge there, but uh, we'll see what happens. All right. Well, I know that they're basically a platoon goaltending system for the 
for the most part yeah. this year, I think. Um, but in the playoffs, has it just been Coulomb? I, yeah, I guess he's played nine of the... Charles Antoine Lavallee has only played two games in the postseason. So, interesting. All right. Um, overall, is there a, a, a favorite to be uh, had here? Is it because Charlottetown's at home? Would would most people pick the Islanders? Yeah, I think I, I would definitely consider Charlottetown to be the favorite. Um, and for the reason I outlined earlier, I think they're just they're just a little bit more they're just a little bit deeper than Schwinnigan. Um, you know, Schwinnigan has really good top end guys, but I think when you start comparing the teams beyond the first line, I think uh, I think Charlottetown is a bit of an edge. Um, and Charlottetown, you know, they the Islanders kind of always play that playoff style of hockey, and I think this you know a series against the uh, a good scoring team like Shawinigan is is a good is a decent matchup for for Charlottetown, um, and they saw that they could beat uh, a team that's maybe a little bit similar um, to Shawinigan and Sherbrooke, who has a really good, really good top line, um, who they beat in the semifinals. Um, yeah, I think I, I definitely consider Charlottetown is, is the favorite, but uh, we've seen some upsets already in this in this uh, in these playoffs, so uh, we'll see what happens. Jamie Tozer from Station Nation is my uh, guest to uh, set up the final in the queue and also the Memorial Cup as uh, the St. John Sea Dogs are the host team, bounced in the first round, and uh, boy, they uh, haven't stopped making news uh, as they have made some coaching changes and uh, there's been a lot of uh, head-scratching decisions, uh, for, at least from the outside looking in. Did all of that catch you by surprise and, and the, the local fan base by surprise? Yeah, I you know I've, I've been covering this team since 2009 now, and I always tell people that this is not a boring team ever. Um, and that was definitely true. And, you know, expecting a, a month and a half long layoff, but you knew they were going to find a way to make news. So, um, yeah, definitely surprising. I don't think there's anyone who wasn't surprised by that. Um, you know, I think it was something that everyone maybe thought that they'd at least consider. I think you had to, I'm sure most teams in, in St. John's position, you know, really evaluates their team heading into the Memorial Cup. Um, but, you know, to see them, um, fire Gordy Dwyer, who had really had this team going really, really well in the second half of the season, and to see them let him go um, with and bring in someone who's brand new to the organization um, is definitely a surprise and uh, really, really interesting to see uh, how they how they look um, compared to what we saw earlier this season uh, when the Memorial Cup opens. Well, Gardner McDougall's a, a g- very good head coach. He's been at the University of New Brunswick for what two decades now, and they've been one of the top teams. Yeah in uh, U sports hockey in this country, but he hasn't been in the, in the queue. Like he's, he's coaching younger players now. Uh, is it, you know, normally you would expect it's going to take some time to make that adjustment. He's got no time to make that adjustment now. Absolutely. And it's, it's, you know, it's, it's definitely a huge challenge for him. Um, I think if there's any, any advantage, you know, St. John is an older team. So I think they, they definitely, their age group is similar to what he's used to at UND. Um, but, um, it's, it's going to be quite a challenge. I'm, I'm fascinated to see how this team looks, um, at the Memorial cup. Um, you know, UMB is such a, uh, hardworking team and they're such a fast team. Um, you never see players, um, or a team at UMB take a shift off. And, you know, that's kind of been what, uh, what many critics have criticized St. John for, uh, over the past few years. So I think he's a great fit for what many believe are the problems with the Sea Dogs team. Um, but we'll see what happens. I mean, uh, it's very similar. You know, it, it's, it's it's an unusual situation to see this heading to Memorial Cup. Yeah. But um, at the same time, it's not, 
maybe not necessarily completely different from an international tournament where a coach will take uh, a Canadian, a team Canada full of players he's not familiar with um, into a tournament like that. Hmm. That's an interesting uh, way to look at it. Uh, Rocky Thompson also added to the uh, front office, front office staff as a team consultant. I don't know what his role actually will be, but he completes the CHL trifecta. He coached the Edmonton Oil Kings in the dub. Uh, he coached the Windsor Spitfires in the OHL. Now he's in the in the queue, not on the bench. But what is his role as a consultant? <laughs> That's a really good question, and I'm honestly not entirely sure either. <laughs> uh, so we'll see. My my understanding though is that he won't be behind the bench. So. I'm sure he'll be uh, on the ice practicing with the team a bit, um, but I have a feeling he's more involved with uh, just the preparation um, of this team, heading it on the ice, on the ice or off the ice. Because um, obviously, whatever he did um, with the Spitfires in 2017 worked extremely well, um, as the Sea Dogs found out in that opening game of the tournament. Um, so I think that's a that's a great fit um, to bring in a guy like that to. Uh, He's been through this really recently and has had success um, under these circumstances. And uh, another guy who's uh, extremely well liked in St. John, also who's uh, was a really much, very much a, a fan favorite when he was back with the Flames. All right, Jamie, we didn't talk about the roster for the uh, the Sea Dogs. Uh, there's a lot of drafted players on that club as well, and it was you know assembled throughout the course of the year as being the host that uh, they're really going to take a run at it. Um, to get bounced in the first round like that, I'm sure was disappointing and, and probably a surprise to a lot of people. How do they regroup and who's going to lead them to, to success here at the Memorial Cup? But if they're if they go on to have success, who are the uh, the players who are going to take them deep? Yeah, I think they're definitely their top two lines. Um, their top six is pretty good. Um, they've got a really well balanced um, um, group of forwards who you know after the trade deadline they kind of. Um, created the more traditional setup of, you know, two, two really good scoring lines and then more of a traditional third, third and fourth line. Um, but we saw that first line of uh, William Dufour, Josh Lawrence, uh, Brady Burns, that line really struggled um, in that series against Ramuski. Um, it was good to see that, you know, the third and fourth line, like you see a lot in the playoffs contributed really well. Um, but, you know, that top six, they're just going to have to find a way um, and we'll see what Gardner can do. Gardner McDougal can do, but that top six is just going to have to find a way to to get back to the way they were playing in the second half of the season. Um, if this team is going to have success, um, and then on the back end, um, you know, St. John's defensive play has been uh, the biggest problem over the past few years, um, and it took a major step forward this season. Um, looked pretty good in the second half, um, but again, you know, just had. A few blunders in that series against Ramuski, and it, they proved costly. Um, so we'll see if they can kind of straighten them out. And I'm, again, curious to see what McDougal can do with that defense, just because, um, you know, being familiar with the UMB program, um, you know, you're not, you're not used, you're not going to see um, this, you know, the, the defensive style of play that St. John's been playing a lot um, when they're not playing well. You don't see that a lot at UMB. So we'll see what McDougal can do there. Um, and I think the goaltending as well is is an interesting storyline that hasn't really been talked about. Um, team paid a lot at the trade deadline to acquire uh, Nikola Herkubis, who led Victoriaville to a President Cup last year. Um, and he actually didn't start. Um, I don't believe he started any games um, in that series against Ramuski. Um, kind of lost the starting job to Thomas Couture, who was excellent down the stretch. Um Ended up playing in that decisive game five, taking over for uh, Couture early in the game. Um, so I'm curious to see who uh, who ends up starting 
that game won the Memorial Cup, whether it be uh, Couture, who is definitely a, a great goaltender down the stretch, or Herjubis, who uh, is much more of an experienced guy. Interesting. They're both tiny. They're both listed at 5'10 on the sheet that I'm looking at, but uh, yeah. at the junior level, they're having success. Yeah, and you know, a great story, Couture, who uh, uh, you know is kind of an unknown heading into the season. Uh, had a pretty good first half with uh, rebuilding Wildcats team, gets dealt to the Memorial Cup host team. So, uh, and then you know, kind of uh, not necessarily officially won the starting job, but essentially won the starting job heading into the playoffs. Um, started all five games of the first round. So, uh, a great story. Um, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. You know, Hershey Bees look really good in relief. Um, in that game five that the Seedoys ended up losing. Um, but we'll see what happens here uh, in a few weeks. Just looking at the roster, uh, I think I counted 17 guys who were born in 2002. So, I mean, this is an older veteran team for sure. Yep. St. John is all in this year. Looking beyond this season, are they going right back into a rebuild mode? Because it's you know was a pretty lengthy rebuild to get to this point again. Yeah, I definitely think they're they're heading towards a rebuild. I don't think there's... There's any other way really around it. Um, I think maybe a little bit different with this rebuild will be that I don't necessarily think they'll completely bottom out. I think they've kind of got a a good base of prospects who um, aren't necessarily with the team right now. Um, for a Memorial Cup host team, they made a lot of picks in the last Q draft um, who just haven't had room to play with the team this year. So those guys will um, ideally be here next year. So I think they've kind of, they're kind of kicking off next year at year one of the rebuild instead of, you know, that, that year zero year where it's just kind of stuck in the middle between what's left over and uh, getting picks. Um, but we'll see what happens at the draft to see what, what's, what's kind of left with, and uh, see uh, some trades get finalized and we'll, we'll see what the St. John's bank of picks looks like because um, it's pretty empty right now. Jamie, we're about, what, three weeks away from the start of the Memorial Cup. Uh, is there a buzz growing in St. John? I love that city, by the way. I got some family there and haven't been there for a long time, but uh, I'd love to get back there uh, once again. Uh, Harbor Station's nice building for junior hockey. I saw it when it was uh, the AHL Flames affiliate way back like 20 years ago or something like that. But for the uh, the, the fan base there, are they starting to get excited for the, mem- the Memorial Cup? Yeah, I think so. And I think, um, you know, it's definitely... Uh kind of a punch in the gut to have the Sea Dogs go out so early. And I think that kind of lowered yeah. the excitement a little bit, but I definitely think the feel has kind of started to get back uh, the past couple of weeks. Um, you know, you've seen around the city, a lot of the typical, you know, signage and stuff, but you're starting to see a lot of the bigger projects come to life. Um, there's a giant mural being put up um, across the street from the arena. Um, there's a permanent ball hockey structure being built next door to the uh, arena parking lot. Um, there's also a new, uh, waterfront container village being built and that's a permanent structure that's, uh, not related to the Memorial cup, but there's going to be a, a ton of Memorial cup events and the concert series will be there. Um, and I believe that opens next week. So that'll be cool to see. So definitely starting to see the, the tournament really, uh, really come to life, um, over the past couple of weeks. And I'm, I'm excited to see what the city, uh, city looks like in the last week of June. Cert- definitely, uh, Worst places to go when you're having the Memorial Cup this late in the year. That's true. What do you got coming up uh, at Station Nation uh, for the audience to be aware of? Yeah, well, we're still uh, following the Q playoffs, see what happens there. Um, obviously, and we're looking at uh, some of the OHL and WHL playoffs that uh, you know fans around these parts uh, maybe don't follow quite as closely, but see uh, 
see which teams we end up seeing uh, in St. John uh, in a few weeks. Um, And we'll uh, continue to follow the team as they prepare. Um, Certainly, certainly we're expecting to maybe see some more playoff games, but uh, we may do with what we had. And uh, yeah. Well, Jamie, I appreciate your time. Thanks for this. Good setup of the uh, the Q final and uh, everything that's happened in St. John around that team uh, over the last couple of weeks. Thanks for doing this, man. Thanks, Keith. There's a great setup of the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League final and uh, the Memorial Cup host team, the St. John Sea Dogs, courtesy Jamie Tozer, who you can find his work at stationnation.blogspot.com. It's great stuff. He does a great job covering that team and uh, the Q in general and branches out and does the rest of the CHL this time of year. Great stuff. Thanks, Jamie. All right, we've got one more segment to go on this week's episode, and we are shifting gears and looking at the Ontario Hockey League. It's going to be a first-time guest. I'm going to be joined by Brandon Caputo. He's usually covering the uh, OHL's Niagara Ice Dogs, but he's been uh, hard on the Hamilton Bulldogs beat this year, and the Bulldogs a perfect 12-0 going into the OHL final. Brandon Caputo sets the stage for the OHL championship next here on the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. Now it's a 2-on-0. Mishak and Shirk. Jan Mishak! Patrick goal! Hello, I'm Jan Mishak of Hamilton Bulldogs, and this is the Pipeline Show. Are you a U15 or U17 player looking to sharpen up your skills, have fun, and get conditioned for the upcoming hockey season? Let our coaches and players get you ready at the Spruce Grove Saints 4th Annual Hockey School, brought to you by NextGen Transportation. The camp takes place August 22nd to 26th at the Grant Fear Arena in Spruce Grove. The camp includes over 10 hours of on and off ice training. For more details and to register for the camp, head to sprucegrovesaints.ca slash community slash hockey school today. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. Hey, everybody. An old man's talking. Hey, we're back on The Pipeline Show. We've got one more segment to go. Of course, the program brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. Go to wilhockbeefjerky.com, W-I-L-H-A-U-K. BeefJerky.com. It's Alberta's best. Anywhere in Western Canada, you can get it because you can order it straight from them and they will ship it to you. Any order, any size, anywhere in Western Canada, which leaves my next guest outside uh, looking in because, uh, Brandon, I don't know if you're a big beef jerky guy, but you're too far out east at the moment. At I least. absolutely love beef jerky. Oh, I'm sorry about that. Uh, I'll, maybe I'll have to get some and uh, we'll work something out. Uh, Brandon Caputo is my guest. We're going to look at the uh, Ontario Hockey League, uh, the finals. Uh, now that we know the two teams, Hamilton and Windsor, uh, now you host a, a, or you're part of at least a couple of podcasts, the the Armchair GM Pod, which is actually the uh, the Armchair GM Sports Network, which uh, that's a pretty impressive sounding title, that's for sure. And you got another one as well for the Niagara Ice Dogs, right? Yes, yeah, the Dog Pound Podcast. So the Armchair GM Sports Network is kind of our umbrella, and then underneath we have different shows, including our Dog Pound Podcast and. We actually won uh, Reader's Choice Best Local Entertainment for Niagara Falls and St. Catharines here in the Niagara region. So nice. uh, we're still trying to grow our local business here, and uh, it's been good so far covering the Ice Dogs and the Bulldogs when I can. Excellent. How far apart are the two cities? I don't know the geography that all that well. It's actually about 45 minutes away, uh, maybe less than that if you get good traffic. But it's funny because they aren't in the same conference. Yeah. So you have two teams within 40 minutes of each other, and Niagara usually has to drive past Hamilton to go to anywhere they play, and they aren't in the same conference. So 
Uh, I want to have a mess uh, conversation with the league about that one, but uh, no realignment at this time. Well, it does get let you uh, see both conferences uh, a lot better, though, doesn't it? Uh, when you've got uh, basically two conferences 45 minutes apart. Yeah, absolutely. So it, it was interesting to kind of, um, or sorry, the different divisions, I should say, not different conferences. Okay. Uh, they're in different divisions. Um, I got mixed up because of the conferences. You didn't get to play the Western Conference this year. Uh, so I didn't really get to see a lot of them, but uh, within the divisions, uh, they are different. So Hamilton did play Kingston a lot more, and they did get to see Shane Wright, obviously, who's going to be the first overall pick in the uh, upcoming NHL draft. So Hamilton got to see him a lot more than Niagara did, but uh, it's, it's definitely interesting getting to see two ends of the different divisions right. uh, because of just the way the schedule was uh, was done this year. They only played within your conference. Niagara actually played a few games against Erie, but other than that, they really just played within their conference, and that's how the Ontario Hockey League kind of went about their schedule this year. I'm sure it was uh, kind of the same in other leagues as well. All right, well, let's get right into the final. We've got with the two final teams now. We know Windsor is uh, the, going to represent the West and, and Hamilton who have uh, just flown through the their side of the bracket. Uh, they've, they're have they 12-0. They get to the final with a perfect record and have knocked off some pretty good teams along the way to do it. Mississauga is a good team, and North Bay was had a heck of a season this year. Uh, let's start with Hamilton. It's the, the team, I guess, uh, you're closest to and have seen more of this year. What makes them so good? Yeah, first of all, I got to watch them beat up on the Ice Dogs eight times this year, so <laughs> the K-9 Cup was a clean sweep for the Hamilton Bulldogs. Uh, then I kind of went over into enemy territories for my friends over at the OHL and 60 podcast. And I've been kind of doing some written content for them for the Bulldogs playoff run. And I've got to cover them more in depthly uh, in the playoffs. And what a run this team has been on. I mean, they're like you mentioned, they're undefeated. They're 12-0 and in the playoffs, which is pretty incredible when you think about it. And they have just been steamrolling teams. Uh, Mississauga took them to overtime once. But other than that, they really have not been challenged. Jay McKee, obviously the former NHLer for the Sabres, the St. Louis Blues, and a couple other teams as well, has really gotten this team uh, to play the right way. And Steve Steos, another former NHLer right now, is the general manager. And he's assembled one heck of a roster here for the Hamilton Bulldogs. They have given up a lot of draft picks, but other than a few guys, they should have this team uh, back next year. And, and again, they've, they've won 24 straight games coming into the playoffs or including regular season and playoffs. So they've wow. been a complete juggernaut. They were they were second in goals for this year, and they won the President's Trophy, uh, the equivalent in the Ontario Hockey League this year, with 51 wins in only 68 games. Wow. Uh, you you nail it. Juggernaut is a good word for uh, what the Bulldogs look like right now. And uh, Steve Steos uh, thought of very highly uh, where I am with the uh, Edmonton Oilers uh, fan base. Uh, always held him in uh, high regard, even when he uh, finished off his career with the Calgary Flames. I think uh, nobody held that against him here, which was a little bit unusual. You don't see that very often. Uh, <laughs> all right, with the with the Bulldogs, uh, their leading scorer right now is Logan Morris, and they've got five drafted players. That you know, actually, five sounds all, almost like a low number when you're thinking of a team as strong as the Bulldogs are. But uh, their leading scorer right now in the playoffs is Logan Morris, and not drafted. Uh, tell me about him first off. Yeah, he's had a great year for the Hamilton Bulldogs. He was kind of their the guy that they built around and before they went and got a guy like Mason McTavish from the Peterborough Peets is obviously a top five draft pick for the uh, Anaheim Ducks of the NHL. But Logan Morrison, I mean, what can you say about him? He, uh, as far as points go this year, I mean, he he's leading the Bulldogs right now, 26 points in only 12 games. And 
his line with Avery Hayes, who just who missed a couple of games there at the beginning, and Ryan Humphrey, they had, those three guys have really been a catalyst for the Hamilton Bulldogs team. They've played together for most of the season, and they've really developed a nice chemistry. Logan Morrison was kind of the guy, their go-to guy for most of the year before uh, they went and got Mason McTavish. So he's kind of leading the way with 26 points in 12 games. And then right behind him is Avery Hayes, who, again, missed three games. He's got 21 points in nine games. So wow. very good point-per-game percentage for that line. And got, these are names that, outside of the OHL and the, the, that market, nobody like nobody out here has heard of those guys. So this is a, a league that didn't play at all last year. I think there's going to be a lot of 19-year-olds taken in the draft this year. And uh, Do you see players like those that you just mentioned uh, possibly on the radar for the draft? Yeah, and I could definitely see some players that uh, – could be drafted or could be signed as undrafted free agents as well. You look at a guy like Nathan Steos, who is the son of Steve Steos, but mm-hmm. he was kind of fell out of grace with the Windsor Spitfires, comes over to Hamilton, becomes their number one defenseman. They go and acquire a guy like Arbor Jackeye from the Kitchener Rangers, who is a Montreal Canadiens draft pick. And this team is just loaded from top to bottom right now. They've got three lines that are probably legit, legitimate number one lines on most teams right now. And they, just to, to put it into perspective, Jan Mysik is a is a good draft pick for the Montreal Canadiens. Right now they have him playing third line. So they have an NHL prospect <laughs> playing third line in a, for an Ontario Hockey League team. Pretty incredible to think about. And Mason McTavish is on the second line, just the way that they're kind of trying to sp- spread out their wealth because they've got so much of it up front. All right. Well, you mentioned uh, Mason McTavish, and I think he's the marquee name of all the guys uh, with the the Bulldogs, although that is such a deep team, holy cow! Uh, but what has he added to this club, having come over at the trade deadline from Peterborough? Yeah, I don't know if there's anybody in hockey this year that's played on more teams than Mason McTavish. If you remember, <laughs> he started off with the NHL or the NHL's Anaheim Ducks. He then went to uh, overseas for the Olympics, uh, played for Team Canada. He came back to Peterborough and then was traded uh, at the trade deadline to the Hamilton Bulldogs, and he's been sensational, especially. It's not easy playing on four different teams and four different, uh, three different leagues. It's, uh, it's definitely some sort of an adjustment period for him, but he's really kind of flourished in the playoffs, 19 points in 12 games, almost a goal a game. And again, they've kind of got that top line of Morrison, uh, Avery Hayes and Ryan Humphrey. And then you have the Mason McTavish on the second line, which is uh, just lethal for teams to have to be able to match up with as a second line player. And then him on the power play has just been lethal as four power play undersold them a little bit. McTavish has played on six teams this year. Anaheim, San Diego, Peterborough, Hamilton, and two uh, Team Canada's, the Olympics and the World Junior, although it was cancelled, but got a couple of games in there. But yeah. <laughs> No, you make a great point. Like, bouncing around from dressing room to dressing room, usually that would take uh, a little period of, you know, to get used to new teammates and stuff like that. Doesn't seem to affect him at all. No, and Especially coming into a team like this, that just has so many guys that it's just a, such a deep team from top to bottom. They can beat you in any way that you want to play. And realistically, uh, it's going to be hard for me to think that any team's going to be able to beat them again. They haven't gone through any adversity because they're 12-0 and right now, so that's really the only reason I can see maybe a little bit of a hiccup. But they just took down a very good North Bay Battalion team who has some very good top-end prospects uh, who was 8-1 and coming into that round mm-hmm. and got swept in four games by this Hamilton Bulldogs club. Now, uh, here in the WHL, the two conferences did not cross over at all. S- same story there in, in uh, Ontario? Yep, absolutely. Uh, there was, I-, I believe there were a few games that were played between different conferences. Like Niagara played Erie in a few games just because of Erie's demographic and them having to come up, or uh, geographically them having to come up through Niagara to come sure. to most teams. So they, they ended up playing against Niagara. But for the most part, 
the Western and Eastern Conference did not face each other whatsoever this year, and that was based off of the pandemic schedule and them coming back and just playing within their conference for all 68 games. So we didn't really get to see the Western Conference, which was unfortunate, but uh, we're going to get to see the two best teams in the Ontario Hockey League this year, the Western Conference champions and the Eastern Conference champions who both finished first in their conferences in Hamilton and Windsor. And they have not seen each other. They didn't play a single game against each other. Does that work in favor of one team or the other? Uh, I would think that Windsor is going to try to come in there and try to have some sort of an advantage in any way they can. They know this Hamilton team is going to be dangerous. They know it's a great team, but I don't think they're going to come in scared. They they didn't really have a cakewalk in the playoffs like a lot of people had expected them to. They actually won in six games against the Sarnia Sting in the first round. Then they, they walked through Kitchener pretty easily in five games, but then they went to game seven with Flint and actually had to win in overtime in game six mm-hmm. to even get them to that game seven, which they ended up winning. So they haven't had an easy route, and uh, former NHLer Mark Savard has done a great job for them as their head coach this year, and they've really been led by Dallas Stars prospect Wyatt Johnson, who led the Ontario Hockey League in points this year and right now is leading the playoffs and scoring, which again, Hamilton's only played 12 games compared to Windsor's nine, uh, 18, but he currently does lead the Ontario Hockey League in playoff points as well. Yeah, he's got a big gap too over Will Cooley, the next uh, closest scorer on his own team, 10-point difference there. So uh, Johnson just having a, a fantastic season and has carried that over into the playoffs if uh, because of that adversity that they've gone through to get to the final, if Windsor happens to you know take game one, does that really throw a wrench into the mix? Because Hamilton hasn't faced that situation where they've actually even trailed in a series, uh, let alone I don't know how many times they've even trailed in a game up to this point. Yeah, not many at all, and it's <laughs> I, that's been my worry throughout the whole playoffs. Is yeah, going twelve and zero is great, but when they when they hit that adversity, is the coaching staff going to be able to pull them together? Because they just really haven't been through much adversity to all this year. They were 51-12-3-2 in the, in the regular season. And again, they're undefeated in the playoffs. And, and Windsor's kind of had a more difficult road and kind of had to really battle through some adversity. Like I mentioned, had to win an overtime at Game 6 to even get to Game 7 against Flint and, and having to come over, overcome that. So you're, you're looking at the two teams that scored the most goals in the, in the Ontario Hockey League as well. Uh, Windsor scored 305 and Hamilton scored 300. And again, Hamilton had the best goals against in the, in, in the league as well. So these are two probably the two best teams in the Ontario Hockey League that didn't get to play each other this year. So it's really going to be interesting to see when they go up against each other in the OHL final, kind of where they stack up, because obviously the, there was no cross-conference play this year. In your opinion, who's got the goaltender edge between these two clubs? Neither has a goalie that's been drafted uh, yet or signed as a free agent, but uh, obviously you can't get to this point without having good goaltending. So is there a, a team that has an edge here? I mean, if you look at the stats, you would say that, that Hamilton does, but the the fact that Matias Onuska has gotten to this point in some very tough games, uh, a lot of those uh, nail-biter games and those uh, those tough games that they had against Flint going the distance in seven games, I think that uh, obviously he's had to battle through his adversity, losing some games this, uh, this postseason. But Marco Constantini, he won the Eastern Conference goaltender of the, of the month, and uh, he Right now, he's 12-0 and with a 9.33 save percentage and a 1.75 goals against average. He, When he's been called on to be big for Hamilton, he has. Uh, but again, if they get into a, a kind of a run-and-gun type of game with Windsor, I don't know what would kind of happen with that. But right now, Marco Constantini obviously looks good. Uh, the Hamilton defense just has to continue to play very good in front of him. Brandon Caputo is my guest looking at the OHL final and the matchup between the two teams. Uh, you mentioned some of the, uh, the guys uh, for the... Uh, Bulldogs who aren't drafted but are making big impacts. Is there 
one or two guys off the Windsor Spitfires who maybe they're unheralded, uh, unsung hero type players who are are standing out and maybe raising their game to a another level here in the playoffs that you've uh, that you've picked up on. Yeah, I mean D- Daniel D'Amico scored a hat trick uh, in last night's game or uh, a couple nights ago for in Game Seven, so he really stepped it up for Windsor. And obviously, Will Cooley has been a, another guy that's been fantastic for them. Andrew Parrott as a defenseman. He came over at the trade deadline, and he's been a revelation for the Windsor Spitfires. He actually scored an overtime winner in that series against Flint, so he's been big as well. And uh, I just, I, I think this team. Obviously, you look at Wyatt Johnson as, as the go-to guy, but I think this team does have three lines that can score as well. I don't think that they're top-heavy. I, I was really concerned about the Kingston Frontenacs this year with how top-heavy they were uh, with some very top-end players like uh, Martin Chromiak and Shane Wright, but I really didn't think that they had the bottom six. But I think Mark Savard has this team playing well, and they can definitely score with three lines, and they're going to need to against the deep Hamilton team that all four lines, even the fourth line for Hamilton, can get going and generate some offense and generate some momentum for the other three lines. So if Windsor's going to have any shot at the series, they're going to have to match up three or four lines against Hamilton because that's how deep that this Bulldogs roster has been. Now, the Bulldogs haven't played since, what, has it been about a week now, I guess, since uh, between games from game one of this final series to when they wrapped up the last series against North Bay. Windsor just played on Wednesday. They play game one on Friday, so no rest for them. Uh, on one hand, you'd look at, at Hamilton and say, well, they're rested. Some people would ask if they're rusted. I don't buy that uh, because it's only a week. Uh, do you think the fatigue maybe comes in and becomes a factor in this for Windsor? I definitely think so because they've had to go the distance uh, against Flint just two days earlier. And again, they haven't had a cakewalk the first two rounds either. So Hamilton has had to play the least amount of games possible. Uh, They've only had to play 12 games, swept all three series that they've played and they haven't played since last Saturday. So I think there might be a little bit of rust at the beginning. Maybe Windsor is able to come out in game one, even though it's in Hamilton and then uh, the first Ontario center should be pretty pretty packed as a as an arena that was said to be holding an NHL team at one point but uh, I do think that Windsor could catch uh, Hamilton off guard here because they're just kind of in in the mode right now they're they're used to playing every other day right now and Hamilton's used to having a few days off in between their series even though it's not really affecting them right now as they're still undefeated in the playoffs that's a great point actually Uh, Brandon before I let you go I guess I should ask you I don't know if you're a guy who does predictions but let's say Hamilton is I'm sure the favorite in this but if Windsor ends up winning, would you consider it a major upset? I would definitely consider it an upset, but I, I actually had Windsor uh, going to the to the championship and maybe knocking off Hamilton before the playoffs started. I think Windsor's uh, kind of that team that really came out of nowhere this year, and Mark Savard really has them playing the right way, and they have a, a superstar like Wyatt Johnson who can take over the game. So I do think Hamilton wins it probably in six games, but I, I do think that Windsor has a chance to give them the, the biggest challenge so far, and I definitely think it's going to be a fun series. It's going to be interesting because they play game two on Sunday and then game three, they have to go all the way to Windsor to play on Monday. So maybe Windsor can sneak out a few wins there for that long travel. But uh, I definitely think it's going to be a very close series against the two clear best teams in, in the Ontario Hockey League this year in Windsor and, and Hamilton. Outstanding. Looking forward to it for sure. Where do uh, people get in touch with you and uh, how do they follow you and uh, hear all of the uh, the different projects and read your stuff? So the easiest way is armchairgmsports.com. That's our website that we post all of our podcasts and all of our written content on there. And you can find all of our social medias from there as well. Um, if you want to follow us directly on Twitter, it's armchairgmpod or at dogtownpodcast. Or you can follow myself 
at Caputs13 underscore AGM. And right now I'm doing the Hamilton Bulldog stuff with the guys at the OHL and 60 podcast. So if you look them up and uh, you can go on their website and all my Bulldogs articles will be on there as well. So we're hoping for to, for a deep run here and we'll see what happens if uh, this team makes the Memorial Cup. It'd be pretty special in Hamilton. Terrific. Uh, Brandon, I really appreciate your time. This was fun. I hope you don't mind if I call you again. Thanks so much, sir. Anytime. I appreciate it. Brandon Caputo with a uh, terrific setup of the final series in the OHL. Can the Hamilton Bulldogs be beaten? We'll find out. The Windsor Spitfires are going to do their best to do just that. If it is Hamilton that ends up going to the Memorial Cup, I mean, they're going to face some stiff competition, either Seattle or Edmonton going out there. You've got Shawinigan as well as the the Charlottetown Islanders and the host St. John Sea Dogs with a fresh coaching change and a, a pretty loaded lineup. Surprised that they were knocked out in the first round. It's not going to be easy for anybody to come away with the Memorial Cup this year. All right, it's been a uh, long show, jam-packed. Five guests this week, and it was a lot of fun uh, to put it all together, but that is going to wrap up this week's episode of the Pipeline Show. All three CHL Final Series get going this weekend, and it's great that they're all starting at the same time. Now that the queue has caught up, they've had to play best of fives to do it, uh, but it's worked up to this point. Now it's best of seven in the queue as it is in the OHL and the WHL. Next week on the program, well, we'll update everything that's been happening, and uh, there's going to be lots of other stories that are trickling out, and we'll get uh, closer and closer to the NHL draft. The Combine is ongoing, so we'll have lots to talk about next week. Between now and then, get out and watch some playoff hockey if you can. If you can't, watch it on TV or get it online so that you and I can talk about it next week, right here on the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. My name's Keith Flaming. See ya!